our God is perfect. In fact, even that word when applied to him is a limited word. Our God is immeasurably, infinitely perfect. God is good. He is so good. He is marvelously, amazingly good. And so listen, therefore, his gospel, the truth of our salvation, is also good. It is amazingly, astoundingly, marvelously also good. In fact, God himself calls it good news. That is his word, the word gospel. That's what he says. Our message of salvation, the truth of our salvation, God himself says is good news. That is his word. Now, the gospel is amazing in that it is compact enough that you can hold it in your hand as if it were a nugget of gold. And you do not have to have a PhD, you do not have to have given your life to years of study of it to be able to, to see it and to behold it, to marvel at it, and to receive its beauty. Now, I love it about our gospel, that it is God's simple gospel. And yet, at the same time, amazingly, mind-blowingly, the gospel is also not just like a gold nugget. It is also like a gold mine. And if you were to walk into this gold mine, as you were to make your way into the cavern, the gold were to shine like glass. And it would cause your eyes to have to adjust. And everywhere you look, as far as you could see, you would see more gold. And everywhere you turn, you would see a new vein that went into the depth of the mine. And it would be impossible to take it all in. I love that too. Also about our gospel, the depth of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I can tell you this tonight, whether it is the gold nugget that we are to hold in our hand or the mind that is unending, however I look at it, the, the more that I observe it, from every new angle that I look at it, from every new perspective, it grows more and more. And so if I'm looking at the, the gospel in my hand, the gold nugget, if I'm there in the mind observing the depth of it, from every new perspective, it grows and it grows. And increasingly so, it is found as good news. And I want to tell you, when I look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is good news. And when I look at it in depth, it is better news. And when I observe it and I break it down and I try to see the riches of it, it is even better news. That is our gospel. Friends, the good news is such good news. Starting tonight, for the next month, our goal is to look at this good news. Now, really, you wonder what the goal is. That is the goal to see the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, first off, I will tell you, it is our joy to do so. It is our blessing to do so. What an awesome thing to be able to come and to take God's word and look at the truth of the good news of our gospel. It is a joy and a privilege to do so. But we're also going to do it for another reason. Today there is a teaching that if taken and consumed, I believe Mars that gospel. I believe it makes that gospel ugly. 
More than that, I believe that that teaching actually disparages, mars the character of our God. Now, that teaching, it flies under several names. There are several names that are offered today. Calvinist, Calvinism, based on the teachings of John Calvin. Reformed theology, some like to call it by that name. Doctrines of grace seems to be also another popular name. There's other names as well. All of those talking about basically the same teachings. Now, I must tell you, I believe these teachings are dangerous in that in the days before Jesus comes, I believe they are robbing the church of its message. I believe they are robbing the church of its mission. And I want to tell you for sure it is robbing the church of its urgency today. I think that is a plan of Satan in the days before Jesus comes again. If you can mess up the message, if you can mess up the mission, if you can destroy the urgency of the church, that would be a victory for Satan. I believe these teachings are always divisive. And I will watch when they spring up, there's always discord. And there may be some that run to it, some that flock to it, but there's others that, that are split off. There's always disunity when these teachings show up. And so tonight, I begin, and I preach these messages because of the tidal wave of these advancing beliefs. Now, let me just be honest with you. Today, many of the popular preachers that you will hear, I'll maybe say most of the popular preachers that you will hear support these views. That's happened, that's grown over the last decade. Many of the popular books that you will read today, if you were to go pick up a Christian book, many of the most popular books these days will support these views. In Southern Baptist life, in the last decade, the last 15 years, the heads of our seminaries, the heads of our mission agencies, and a growing number, the pastors of our churches adhere to these teachings. I will warn you tonight, in its worst form, which is now very common, the teachings come in ambiguity, ambiguously. The teachings come and they're in a method that is introduced secretly. They are manipulatively introduced. You want to look at that? Go home tonight and Google the word stealth Calvinism. It's actually a word. How you slip into a church and take over a church. Look at Google. It'll actually explain it to you. I must say, there are false teachers in this camp. Now, there are false teachers in every camp, and there are false teachers. But however, I want you also to know, not all that embrace these doctrines are false teachers. Many are misled. I believe that. Many are duped. Many have been inundated with these teachings. Many are also wrestling with these tough subjects. They are tough subjects. But I must say, while not all are false teachers, listen to me, any that are teaching this are teaching falsely. Now that's a tough statement, and I believe it's true. They're not all false teachers, but those, any that would teach this teaching are teaching falsely. It is not, I believe, the biblical truth. And so here we go tonight. And I need to say, and I want to say it up front, are Calvinist good people? 
Are they well-meaning? Do they love God? Do they seek His glory? Do they seek His honor? Do they love Jesus? I will tell you by and far, for the most part, we can loudly say, clearly say, yes, they do. And so here's the deal. Tonight we begin this study. We begin it in humility. We want to begin it in love. We want to begin it in grace. We want to seek God's truth in the matter. That's for all things, not what a person would say, but we want to know what God has said. Now, also, I want to say this. We should always take note of this. We've seen it many times on Sunday nights. We ought to be leery of any person that claims to know everything. And so you find any person, they say, this is what I know, and it's the truth, and it's always right. Always be leery of any person that claims to know everything. Our standard is the Word of God. Now, our study is going to begin tonight. It's going to follow in successive Sunday services. It is going to be what I call one message delivered in seven parts. And so I believe it is one entire message. We're going to start tonight. We'll start back next Sunday morning. It is going to be delivered to us in seven parts. The first installment we're going to see tonight, it is entitled Guilty by Choice. Guilty by Choice. We have a focal verse tonight. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5 Verse 12, guilty by choice. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dirty Father, we come tonight and we, we seek you in humility. We want to know you. We want to we know your gospel. We want to know clearly your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would speak, that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. I pray that any preconceived uh, notions that we would carry in would be set out and would be checked against the standard of your word. But, Lord, I also pray that the truth would be proclaimed and that the truth would be known. The truth would bear impact. And the truth preached would bear fruit, and that's what you tell us will happen. Lord, we pray for those that are considering this issue, for churches that are considering this issue, for, for individuals that are considering this issue. I pray, Lord, that you would lead and that you would speak, and there will be unity in the truth of your gospel. And then, Lord, I pray thanking you for a glorious, glorious, marvelous gospel, the truth of our salvation. I praise you for it. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Be sure tonight, even tonight, even in these seven messages, we're not even going to scratch the surface. These are deep, deep subjects. These are deep things to think through. Uh, I love looking at them, but we need to be sure and understand as we go through these seven messages. Really, this is going to be a quick flyby. We're going to go. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to be efficient in, in the use of our time, but this is going to be a fast look at this subject. Now, the belief set that we are looking at, uh, whatever name that you want to use for it, and sometimes uh, the folks that adhere to it choose different names, uh, that is fine. The belief set forms an acrostic. Uh, it is an acrostic that they came up with. 
It hasn't been applied to them. Some of their teachers have come up with this. It is an acrostic that they use to explain their belief set. So you say, well, what is it that you believe? They'll say, well, here's this acrostic to help us know what we believe. There are five points that are addressed. Sometimes you hear the word a five-point Calvinist. That's where this comes from. There are five main points that are addressed. There are five points in the acrostic. Those that adhere to them are called five-point Calvinists. Now, many today will say, well, I only adhere to four points. And that is a popular thing. There's one that uh, seems to be less popular. Some will even say, I only adhere to three of the points. But we're actually going to see in the course of our study that they are so intertwined that if you believe the first one, you're going to have to believe the rest of them. If you believe the first two of them, you're going to have to believe the rest of them. They actually lead to the others. Now, the five points are in the word tulip. The points are this. Now, I'll just name them for you tonight. They are this. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now, the, again, that is the acrostic that spells tulip. Again, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. Tonight, we're going to start where they start, and that is with total depravity. Total depravity. Now, okay, stay with me as we move. Total depravity is sometimes called total inability. There's some that like one word, some that like another. Total depravity, also sometimes called total inability. It is a foundational piece, and I'll just tell you, maybe the foundational piece to a Calvinistic perspective. If you hold this perspective many times, this is the, the foundational piece to your perspective. It, if you follow its impact out, now listen, all these lead to something else. With, any, with anything that we believe, they lead to something else. This, if you follow its impact out, leads to the next three or four of the points of tulip. Total depravity or total inability is the belief that because of Adam's fall into sin, because of his entering into sin, that all humankind following him, that's including us, are so influenced by evil, or if you will, so infected by evil, that they are incapable, they are not able, they do not possess the ability to love God, obey God, to please God, or even to seek God. Now that's where their basic understanding, because of Adam's entering into sin, all people after that point do not possess the ability to seek God, to love God, to obey God. Now, be sure to understand this. It doesn't mean that all people are totally depraved. I think there's some that hear that and they assume, well, people are totally depraved, that people are as evil as they could possibly be. That's not what it means. It means they do not have the ability to turn to God. It also follows all of humankind are guilty of the sin of Adam. Now, I want you to see this. All of humankind, this, this, this belief set follows that all of humankind are guilty of the sin of Adam. 
Now, the Puritans had that thought. The idea of original sin promotes that thought. It comes from Augustine. He's the one that originally uh, put out that thought that all humans are guilty of the sin of Adam. Effectively, here's what it teaches. We are born guilty of Adam's sin. Now, they've got a couple ways that this is passed on, that they explain it. The first way is federally. And they say Adam is our representative. And what Adam did is what we would have done. And so Adam represents us federally. So when Adam goes and Adam sins, then his sin is imputed, is given, is counted against us. That's one that way that they say we are born guilty. Another is seminally. Now that means it actually physically passes to us as people, just like in our DNA, you might be short. In your DNA, you might be tall. In the same way, carried seminally is the guilt of Adam. In that sin, in that guilt, they teach we have no option, no ability. We are not able to turn to God unless he makes us new. And so the first step in the process is God regenerates us. God makes us new. It is another act of grace. Now, let me just tell you, it's hard not to flow into the other points of Calvinism from here. We're going to try not to tonight, but that's, that's what they believe. A person that has the guilt also has this inability, and unless God does something, they're not able to believe. That is total depravity, total inability. Now, you might wonder, well, what's, what's the big deal about that? What's the outflow of that? Now, let me just tell you, there are, there are actually many implications of that. We could spend the next three or four hours. We could probably spend the next three or four weeks talking about the implications uh, of if you believe that. If you take that as truth, there are many, many implications. Now, tonight, I just pulled out to, uh, two implications, uh, a couple of implications to make our point tonight. Now, here's the first one. The first is this. What about when a baby dies as an infant? Good question. If they are born guilty, and that's what they teach, if they are born guilty, not because of anything they did, but because of their, their coming from Adam, if they're born guilty, what happens to that person, to that infant? Now, they actually have three different answers. Now, you're going to start to see they have to have a lot of answers. The truth has an answer. But when you have an answer that's not the truth, you start to have many answers. Now, they have at least three answers. The first answer is this. That baby is lost. That baby perishes. And there were some that will say that. I've actually had folks tell me that. Uh, if they would have lived, if they would have been saved, they'd have lived long enough to make a faith decision in Christ, and so that baby is lost. Now, when I hear that, I can't imagine how that sounds like good news. Now, the second thing they would say is this. They are saved, but they're not sure how. And so they would say, well, they're saved, but we're not sure how. Some of them say, well, maybe it's through the parents. Uh, maybe it's like joining a fraternity. There's a legacy, and if your parents were in the club, you get to be in the club as well. There's some that will tell you that. Maybe there's some other rule, and so maybe we don't know all the rules, and so maybe there's some other rule that's applied here. Some say, well, it's a mystery. Babies that die, infants that die are saved, but we don't know how. 
It is a mystery. Most of those, all of those will say, well, they're saved because God is good. Now, we're not sure how he does it or why it happens, but God is good, and so this is what he does. Now, remember that one. The third answer is this. They would say, well, you have to baptize them as an infant. Sound familiar? You have to baptize them as a baby. That is what breaks the sin curse. And, and so they come and they're guilty of sin. The part of the curse is they carry the guilt. And so you baptize them as an infant and it breaks the curse of sin. Therefore, they're saved in the act of baptism. That's where that comes from. You've ever wondered where does that come from? Now, I want you to understand this. None of those are biblical answers. None of those, now we're going to get to an answer. None of those are biblical answers. Now that's just one impact. But I want to ask the question, what do you do with that? If we're born guilty, what do you do with that? You have these answers, they're not biblical, you've just got to pick one. What do you do with that? Now, I want to go to another impact tonight. And this is on a large scale. I want you to think about this. If you are born guilty... What does that say about God? And we're going to start to see this question as we move through these, these points. That's going to be start to be a question we see more and more. What does this say about God? Does it, does it start to raise some questions about God? Listen, God is just. Now, I want you to hear me. He is just. Our God is perfectly just. Our God is righteous, which means this, he does the exact right thing. Listen to me, our God truly is righteous. And so go with me. How are these things just? How does that sound right? To judge somebody in the state they are born in, how is that just? And you can start to make answers. How, how is that right? To punish somebody for a state they're born in, a guilt that they're born in, how is that just? And so I said when we began tonight, when we look into the gospel, I want to tell you what we ought to do. We ought to marvel at God. When we look into the gospel, we should rejoice at the goodness of God. We start to unfold the gospel. I want to tell you something. We ought to be filled with joy. Oh, look at our God. Look at how perfect he is. Well, already tonight, do you start to feel it? Do you start to see it? Is that right? Is that just? God's right. He's just. Of course he is. So maybe it must be. It doesn't feel like it. You know, R.C. Sproul, he's one of their old stalwart preachers. Uh, he, he is a famous, famous proponent of this belief set. Do you know he says when he learned of the Reformed teaching, he was a believer, and he says when he learned of the Reformed teaching, he fought against it. He said when he learned of the Reformed teaching, he actually said a direct quote, I did not like it at all. He, he says it was painful. That's a quote. When I was learning of the truth of the gospel, this, this idea of reformed teaching, it was painful. He says, tooth and nail, he pushed against it. John Piper, 
the most influential proponent of our day. He's, he's the main guy today teaching this. He's one of the reasons it is so popular today. He says also as a believer, as he considered these teachings, he was very angry. And as he started to hear these teachings and, and consider these teachings, he said he became a very angry individual. He said he would read the Bible trying to understand, and he would cry all afternoon. He was distraught all afternoon. There's many other testimonies that are very similar. And I'll tell you, there's folks that will say, when I became a Calvinist, when I learned of this understanding, when I thought about it, it grieved me, it hurt me, I didn't like it. I fought against it. That is very common. Friends, I don't know much. <laughs> I don't know much. I don't know much. But I want to tell you what I do know. Listen very carefully. I want to tell you tonight what I do know. I want to tell you when I learn the truth of who I am apart from Christ, when I, when I hear of the grace of our God shown to us through our Savior Jesus Christ, when I hear the truth that I am saved and I am redeemed and I am restored, not in any work that I could ever do, I couldn't ever do in it, but I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. When I hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can't contain myself. I want to tell you, friend, I'm not angry about it. I'm not distraught about it. I want to tell you, it's all I can do not to jump up and down, down and shout, there is good news in Jesus Christ. And the good news news is good news. Let me tell you something tonight. If it's not good news, it's not the gospel. That's God's word. The gospel's good news. He named it that. And when you look into his gospel, if it makes you sick, if it makes you hurt, if it causes you pain to think that is the nature of your God, if it's not good news, it's not good news. So what is the answer? So what is the deal? Listen very carefully. I'm not going to leave you there. We're going to work out of this. We do have an inheritance from Adam. We do have an inheritance from Adam. Because of sin, because of sin entering into the world, our world is fallen. We see the impact of that. We see the consequence of that. Our world has fallen. Listen, our world is coming undone in our day. It's very evident. Our world is coming undone. It is decaying. The Bible says the world groans because of sin, death has entered in. We are, we are dying, all of us. We're walking in the pain of death, the pain of the, the separation of death. More than that, we live in a sinful, sin-filled environment. It's all around us. We get that because of Adam's inheritance given to us. We live in an environment that's, that's covered up in sin. We also have a, in our fallen state, we have a nature, listen, a nature given to sin. We have a sin nature. Listen, you have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. I have a nature that grotesquely loves to sin. It's a nature that seeks to sin, that, that, that is disposed to sin. 
We have that. You have that. We do. Listen, yet what we do not have is Adam's guilt for sin. Did you hear what I just said? We have a sin nature, yes. We're predisposed. We, we run to sin. But we do not have Adam's guilt for sin. And you say, well, isn't that the same thing? No, listen, the difference is, is huge. Listen to me very carefully. We have a choice. Did you hear that? We have a choice. We have, listen to the word, the ability, not the inability, we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to turn to God, seeking Him as the remedy for sin, or we can choose to reject God. We can choose to spurn God. In the garden, what was the tree? Now, there's folks, they want to come along, they want to argue this, and they want to argue this, well, we, we're enabled, we don't have a choice, not really. Some say you have a choice, you just can't make it. How crazy is that? Listen, in the garden, what was the tree? Think about that. God made himself known. God spoke his word, his truth. He said, do not eat from this tree. He told them the consequence. What's left after that? It's a choice. You know me, you know my word. Now you're going to decide if you trust me. You're going to decide if you obey me. There is an honest choice that starts in the garden. Hear this today. We're going to cover it from several angles in these messages. Listen, God is just, perfectly so. God is righteous, perfectly so. That is not in conflict with the truth that God is loving, perfectly so. God is good, unquestionably so. And so God does not do, listen to me, what is in conflict with justice. He is perfectly just, and so he does not do what is in conflict with justice. He does not do what is, in, what is contrary to righteousness. So he does not judge us for a condition we are born into, but rather he judges us for the sin we have committed. Now listen, that's a big deal. That's a foundational thing. God does not judge us for a condition that we are born into, but rather he judges us for the sin we have committed. I hate Adam's sin. <laughs> I hate Adam's sin. I wish, I wish he'd have never done it. We suffer for Adam's sin. You know whose sin I hate more? You want to get real tonight? You want to know whose sin I regret more? It's not Adam's. It's mine. Oh, listen to me. I wish I'd have never done it. Oh, I wish I could take it back. I wish I could go back and change a bunch of turns that I made. Listen to me. I have sinned. I have rebelled against the holy God. And listen to me. It is my responsibility. And I bear that responsibility. And for that, I am was condemned. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Now look at the gospel. Babies are not condemned because of how they're born. They're not saved because of some mysterious reason, some other rule that we can't know. That's what John MacArthur says. They're not condemned because 
They, they, did, they felt they're not condemned because they had a baptism that somehow broke a curse on them. Listen, they are not condemned because they did not knowingly sin and they are not responsible. See that? I don't have to make up a bunch of reasons why, we're, why we, we can have confidence in that. I don't have to go back and scrounge up a bunch of verses to give us confidence in that. Look at our gospel now. Hearing into it, hearing it, diving into it, it doesn't make me mad. It doesn't make me sad. No, I, I rejoice in our gospel. I sinned. I was condemned. I was hopeless in that sin. But God so loved me that God sent his only begotten son. And by faith in him, I am saved. And that is the good news. I picked our verse tonight because it's one of the verses Calvinists are going to use to refute this. Now, let me just tell you something. Um, you say a verse, they're going to say three. You say three, they're going to say six. Listen to me. We go to the Bible. We go to the Bible. We, our answer is in the Bible. Our key is the Bible. Our source text is going to be the Word of God. So listen, we don't run off from the Bible. We go to the Bible. The truth will always stand. Listen, the truth will always stand. I want you to be ready. They are going to use parts of Romans chapter 5. They're going to use very specifically Romans chapter 5 verse 12 to say that through Adam, guilt was assigned to all people. Now, let me just tell you, one of the problems they have there is if they are assigning universal guilt through Adam in Romans chapter 5, when you read Romans chapter 5, then they also have to assign universal salvation through Jesus also in Romans chapter 5. And we know, they know, the Bible doesn't teach that. Let me read Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Starts off and it says, therefore, it's talking about building on the previous verses. Go back and read the earlier part of, of chapter 5. Because Christ died for sin, because he died for sinners, because it is applied to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, there's no sin before him. And death through sin, there's no death before sin. And so death spread to all men. We've all dealt with it. Very simple. See this. Notice this. Because all sinned. Now, I want, to, I want you to see this very quickly tonight. In the original language, it reads, one of these things is just like the other. Here in this simple verse, this thing is just like the other thing. One of these things is just like the other. So just like sin and death came from Adam. It says, so thus, that's the original translation, in the same way, death spread to all men. Watch this. Because all sinned. Now the word all is the word pos. We've seen it many times. We've talked about it many times. It literally translates all, every, the whole of. Now, I want you to see what this means. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin is death. It says death spread to all people. Watch this. Because all people sinned. It doesn't say they sinned 
through Adam. It doesn't say they sinned in Adam. It says all people sinned. Just like Adam sinned and death came in, we also all have sinned. Listen to me. God is just. We, we are responsible for our sins. We're not guilty because of somebody else's sin. And listen to me. And praise the Lord. Jesus is gracious to sinners like us. Do you see how beautiful that gospel is? I could stand here and I could, I could rebel and say, well, that sorry old Adam, and look what he's done to us. Look what he's done to our people. Look what he's done to my home. And I could look at him and I could look at him and discuss, or I could say, you know what, the beauty of the gospel is this. I have sinned. I have fallen short. I have rebelled against the holy God, but he loved me so much. He sent his only begotten son that in him I have redemption. What a gospel that is. God is just, perfectly so. God is righteous, gloriously so. And he is gracious to us as sinners. And when we have all sinned, for all sinned, turned against God, we've messed it all up, he offers us a remedy in Jesus. What a Savior that is. What a beautiful picture that is. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When I look at our gospel, I don't get mad and I don't get my feelings hurt. When I look at our gospel, I step back in humility and say, yes, I'm responsible. I did it. But praise the Lord that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Praise the Lord for such a Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dream Father, we come. And I praise you, Lord. I worship you. I thank you. I see my sin. I see my condition outside of you. See the lostness, the hopelessness. I also see that you're kind and you're gracious. And you see us and you tell us that. And you love us and you tell us that. And while we were so disgusting in our rebellion is when you come. And you make a way for us in the cross of Calvary, paying for our sin, every sin. We could receive you legitimately, confidently by faith in Jesus. Lord, I praise you for such a gospel. Lord Jesus, I praise you. You're such a Savior. Lord, I pray that this truth grabs a hold of us. I pray, Lord, that we, we leave here filled with worship tonight, filled with love for you tonight, filled with, with awe over such a gracious transaction that saved each of us as sinners. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Pray as we continue this study that you would speak, that it would be your truth and we'd be drawn closer to you. Lord, we love you. I pray also if there's somebody that hears tonight that doesn't know you, maybe in this room, maybe somewhere else, they hear of a Savior that saw our plight and sin and loves and sent us a, a remedy in Jesus. Lord, I pray that tonight, this very night, that they would turn to you that they would receive your grace by faith in Jesus. And in doing so, they'd be saved. Lord, I pray that it would point great glory to you. Lord, we thank you tonight. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service tonight with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you the, the good news of all this. We pass through this and you say, that sounds complicated. That sounds heavy. I want to tell you the good news of all this is this. We have hope tonight. God's grace is available to us in the person of Jesus tonight. 
All of us have sinned. In our sin, we've earned a punishment. But in the love of God, the grace of God, he sends Christ. He lives a life he never sins. Not one time does he sin. Because he doesn't sin, he's the perfect lamb of God. He goes to the cross. The Bible says he becomes our sin. He carries our sin. And he receives God's judgment toward it, poured out on him on the cross. The payment for sin is death. He dies, my death, your death. They take him off of that cross. They put him in a grave. Three days later, he walks out of the grave. He stands as the risen lamb, the hope of sinners. The Bible says no work that you have to do can even do a work. If you'll profess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, your faith in Jesus, the Bible says this, you shall be saved. If you're here tonight and you never trusted Christ, settle it tonight. Settle it tonight. Don't go into a new week. Don't go out tonight. Without that settle, if you need more information, you come. Let's settle that tonight. Maybe you're here and you're considering these things and you say, God, speak to me, lead me. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll unite holding his truth. Maybe you're here and you've made a decision, but you've never fallen believer's baptism. You come tonight as well. We'll set a day. It'll be a great day of celebration. We stand and sing. If God has spoken to you, you step out. You come on. I'll meet you here. You come on. I'll meet you here.